Hello addicts, non-addicts, and supporters. Welcome to the Diary of a Young Addict podcast. I'm your host, Mare, and I'm a 22-year-old recovering addict with over four years clean from drugs and alcohol. This podcast is all about recovery from addiction and what that looks like as a young person. Hey guys, so if you listen to the past episode, the most recent one, um, it was me and my friend Daisy talking about how addiction affects other people. So today, I have my dad here with me to help convey how my addiction affected him and the rest of my family. Hey, hello. I'm the dad. <laughs> and uh, I looked over years and watched stuff happen. And, uh, you know, I don't understand a lot of it, but it, it is a very confusing time, especially at the ages that she started. And of course, I don't know exactly when she started, but it was too young, whatever it was. And you don't understand addiction, but you try to. You always ask a lot of questions. Yeah, yeah. I try to be sympathetic. I mean, everybody has their challenges in life and you have to, you know, blaze your own path as to how to solve them. Some people are successful, some people aren't. Okay, so let's start off with, like, did you ever have any addictions to anything? Like, even like cigarettes? What did your, like drug use and addiction stuff look like growing up? So I, I was I always considered myself an athlete. So I used that as an excuse not to drink, not to, you know, to smoke cigarettes. And that was a big reason you never thought I was using because because I was still always involved in sports. Right. That's probably, I think that's a fair thing. I didn't really think of it that way, but um, I, I just felt that it was a contradictory thing to do was sports to excel at it and to, um, and to do, you know, drugs, alcohol, and that kind of stuff. Now, I did work in the bars. So I, when I worked in the bars, I saw the effects of alcohol, for instance, on, on people. As a matter of fact, I have to say, a handful of my friends died of alcohol-related uh, illnesses wow. over the years. And if y'all don't know, like, my dad um, was a, a power lifter. He did triathlons and quadathlons. Like, when he's talking about fitness stuff, like, he... And later on in life, I guess, like, uh, really did get into all that. So that was like a big part of his life. Yeah, and actually growing up, I mean, I started competing, you know, in powerlifting when I was 18. Started oh, playing wow. football um, at a higher level than, than college at age 18. Mm. So, so yeah, I, I mean, during my early 20 years, in the 20s, up until 24, I was around... I mean, I was just like everybody else. I like to party, go out, have fun, friends drink, do you know, do some kinds of drugs, and I was there. But I was, I, I tried things, but I didn't. I didn't, can't say I participated. I really was just a an observer. I always thought it was a um, a spectator sport, in my opinion. Did you ever, like, firsthand see? something like harmful like a like a friend or loved one go through like withdraws or like overdose or anything like that um no nothing happened nothing happened like that that i can remember um but i will tell you a story and uh a quick one when i was in the in the business and working at the bars afterwards we were invited over and they were doing quite a bit of drugs at this after party by the way the bars closed like at 4 30 so it's like five o'clock in the morning and um, there was an NBA star at the time, and this was many generations ago, so you guys wouldn't even, I don't remember his name was. He, he, t- he was there, and he talked a little bit about his, um, uh, he was on the sixth man who was on the bench, and at the end of the game, he was asked to go in 
but he didn't think he was going to get in, so he was high for that game. And oh, he, no. missed, he missed He missed the winning layup. And oh, I just remember no. that story for for years. It's kind of like, because I could relate to it as an athlete, thinking about how, how, yeah, just comparisons. It's like, it made a big impression. It's like, wow. I mean, it's, even he was a bit out of control, I guess. Yeah. Okay, so starting to hone in on me. Yep. Um, was there a certain defining moment or like what was the start where you were like, okay, something's going on here. Like something isn't right. Was it just like me continuously getting in trouble or like, what was it? Um, I think the first thing was we really found some things around in your room that were, you know, like <laughs> milk, milk jugs that were <laughs> modified for purposes of I, I, I had a so y'all I had a Snapple tea thing that was probably like over a gallon big and I made like a, a, a bong out of it yeah. <laughs> and it was sitting in my closet so I mean I, I'm, I'm not stupid I know what this stuff is but we wanted to see what she had to say and of course she, she was doing it for a friend of hers it wasn't it's oh it was always, always for <laughs> it was always oh I'm just holding that for a friend of mine like so so when you see stuff like that you kind of you don't want to believe it, so you kind of put it away. But it's one of those things that's building a case towards: is there a problem? Mm-hmm. And you know, as a parent, you're, the the problem is you have to, at some point, say, "Well, I got to step in," you know, and maybe I don't really know how to, but uh, this isn't going well, and I'm responsible. So nobody else is gonna. I could sit back and just watch, but I mean, like some parents do, it seems like. But. I, you know, and then the, then the question is, how far do you interfere? Well, this how was this was it? like I was I was young. I mean, I was in like 12, middle school. Like, yeah. 12, yeah, like, do you thought. really think like was that really a thought? You know what I mean? Like, was that like oh yeah, I guess she really is using drugs at this young age. Like, I just have to get an acceptance of that and like no. deal with it accordingly. No, that was never something. I, it was more of shock because you know she you were always an athlete. Uh, yourself, which again, I remember that my experience as an athlete is it was my reason to stay away from that stuff. And uh, you were exposed to that, and, and certainly, our uh, as a family, our there wasn't any drinking or, or drugs being done in our family, so it was all you know, uh, you right? Like, exposed to it. Let's also I, say, let's also say, just so y'all know, I, I, I forget that I have to let everyone, all the listeners, know my dad does not do drugs at all he doesn't really drink he drinks maybe once or twice a year and it's just like a beer a singular beer like it's just not his thing at all like nowadays yeah it's just it's not a big deal it's not like i'd say oh i better not drink because i'll be you know i'll I'll lose my recovery i'm not in recovery but yeah and so for me it was always hard to i've met some people along the way in recovery it's hard for me to understand the mentality to me it's like well just stop it's like what's the big deal It's like, you know, so from a, a layman's point of view, it's a lot different than, you know, for those that are immersed in it. And that's why I think it, it, what I've learned is that's why you have to have a strong support group, in my opinion. And that's because, what that's what a 12-step fellowship is. Yeah, it's like, exactly, how yeah. else would you find those people who are struggling with the same things, you and, know? And you know, what's interesting about that is, is you know, I've often thought, um, you know, years past, it's like, wow, uh, and this is going to sound strange, like, wouldn't it be neat to be in those groups but remember to be in the groups you gotta drugs and alcohol you gotta reach a pretty low bottom and fuck up your life (laughs) right so but but i mean the relationships and the friendships that people develop are are unbelievable it really is yeah yeah yeah. and so i think you know that was something that that i really um said well that's really cool and i like that you know i I like to see 
that cool uh, to see the community. Yeah, the community aspect of it, how they helped each other and leaned on each other when they have hard times, and it was kind of it was a family of itself. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, back to when I was working in the bars, one of the things that I noticed is, in uh, back in in New York, the people that were in the bars, uh, the bartenders specifically. I wasn't a bartender. I was. I worked at the door, but the part of their to, to be in that position is that they could hold their alcohol because people would buy them drinks and the whole idea was that the bar made a lot of money with people spending money on the bartenders buying them drinks. Ah, I never thought about yeah, that. Yeah, so I mean they were, these guys were, every night I saw them get wasted. I didn't see anyone die of it, but a bunch of them did pass away in a very early age and I'm sure like not, yeah, yeah. Liver, you know, liver, whatever, cirrhosis. Or yeah, whatever. yeah. Okay, so, so I'm taking a class right now, a summer class for child advocacy and maltreatment. And one of the questions in an assignment we got was like about parenting and how to deal with basic, like just like how to deal with kids and how like my upbringing affected my views on parenting and stuff like that. And so do you think that there's anything you could have done differently that would have helped me? Well, I mean, if I was as strict and as hardcore as my family was to us, uh, it would have been a whole different, we'd have a whole different discussion. You don't think I would have just gotten sneakier with it? No, you just, you wouldn't, it, it wouldn't have been worth it for you. So it would have been pretty, uh, pretty substantial. You wouldn't have seen the light of day. Okay, so tell so, me some more about yeah, that. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I didn't get involved in a lot of that. I wasn't really part of it, but it was just was whatever your parents said you did. You just, there was no question about it. Now, I wasn't a perfect kid, mm -hmm. but you would never openly defy them. Or if you got caught doing something, that was one thing you weren't going to do again. You might do something different, but you wouldn't do that same thing again. And that was not the same thing that I saw here. I saw the same thing being done over and over and over again. So as a parent, you have to think about it. Do you want to step up the punishment? The yeah, and I'm not talking yeah. physical abuse. Yeah, I'm just yeah, talking yeah. about... You know, what are you going to do? Shield them from the whole world? And exactly. lock them in a room? Well, okay, so so part of my story, at one point I got sent to um, private school for my freshman year of high school. And can you explain what you thought? Like, basically I'd gotten caught for something and my parents were like, what, like, what, give me your perspective on why you thought, like, what were your thoughts about deciding that? Because it was like out of nowhere. I was like, I never even thought this would be an option. Like, this is weird. What, you mean going to, going to treatment? No, going to private school. Oh, to private school. Well, that was me saying, well, maybe if I just take her away from the situation that she's around, you know, then that would solve the problem. She was just around bad kids because <laughs> they hang around in, in public schools. So um, my idea was, well, I'll take them and put them in a private school. My, my, my thought is that it got better. <laughs> Your initial thought, yeah. Yeah, my, my, I still think that. I still think that that was a, one of the steps in a saving moment because you were exposed to people around you that weren't as involved as that. Now, that See, in, the in thing that school, is, you just got to find the people. They're everywhere. Yeah, oh, I know that. Yeah, I, I found know. them. Yeah, I'm sure you did. But to me, it was like, I thought more of the... We had a closer... One of the things from a parent's point of view is in the school, if you don't know any of the parents, it's hard to be involved in, you know, kind of keeping track of each other. When right. I went to the and private school. And small school. Right, in the small school you can't. Yeah. You can't keep track of them. And there is a, a stronger sense of community. It's like, I had no problem calling up saying, hey, my, my daughter's saying she wants to come over and she's gonna spend the night. You there. would do and that with my, all my friends, oh, even yeah. in public school. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. But, but I but see the thing is, I got friends who would just lie, who their parents would just lie to yeah, you. Maybe they you did. Know? I don't know. But you know, at least that gave me a level of comfort knowing that you know you did what you could. Like did, you well, didn't. Yeah. 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 I mean. You can't put them in bubble wrap and say, I'll see you when you're 18. <laughs> yeah. you know, you're going to have to let them live life and make their own mistakes. The question is, how big a mistakes right. are you going to, you know, are you going to leave open the door open for? And that, and that becomes, that becomes a, a career, a lifetime altering issue. Right. Because when you get stuff on your record like that, that's where you start facing long-term issues, depending yeah. how bad, like, and if it could get expunged or not. But yeah. So like when you got... Yeah. You know, thrown in jail. Yeah, they know that. Time. Yeah, they know that. <laughs> the podcast knows. Yeah, okay. the podcast knows. So when she got thrown in jail the second time in two weeks <laughs> yes. for the same thing, yeah, at the, the same, exact, same, exact thing. same thing, it's like obviously she's not learning anything. So we made a decision. We were not going to take her out of jail. She was going to stay there on her own. And then I got out. She found a way to get out. <laughs> so I found a way to get out for like $45. Yeah. And, um, but she was going to stay there for weeks, if, if possible. We really? that would help to solve her, you know, to um, maybe let her know the gravity of the situation. It may not solve anything, but yeah, we couldn't just, you know, slap her on the wrist and say, okay, just don't do it again. Yeah, because they'd already got the first time, two weeks prior, they'd gotten me out of jail. I think in in y'all's heads, it was like a one free pass. Like right. maybe That's you just fucked up and then the, you'll decide from here that, okay, I made a big mistake. This could have gone a lot differently if my parents didn't help me out. Like, I'm going to change. Yep. In my head, <laughs> when I got out, I was like, there's no way I'm going to get caught again. What are the odds? What are the odds I'm going to get caught again? And then guess what? Ended up in the exact same place. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just, you. if, you, if you're not moving forward and trying to, um, you know, plot a, a, a better path, you're going to fall back into the same stuff. So it means you, you got to find different friends. You got to find. That's right. And, and that was the one it thing also, with, Mer- with Meredith. That was one thing. I'm we sent her. Yeah, Meredith. Meredith. Oh. Yeah. Oh yeah, Meredith. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, when she ran away, the first week she ran away. By the way. Me? I ran away. Yeah. When you went to Louisiana, the first day when you. Oh shit. Okay. So he's talking <laughs> yeah. about when. When, um, the first week in rehab, like when I was in the inpatient rehab, I went to a rehab in Louisiana and, uh, <laughs> the first week I, uh, ran away. I really wanted some nicotine and some drugs, but I also ran away with like me going to rehab was weird because I was 18. I had just turned 18 and like, like literally six days before. And I, and I didn't want to go to treatment with a bunch of like 40 year olds so I decided to go with the younger people so they were all 17 and and younger so me running away with minors um could have caught me another charge it was not a good move what were you gonna say about that yeah I was gonna say so she obviously still hadn't learned her lesson because you're still that's like three times it's like well like honestly I did go into rehab with a good I mean it was my choice I said I want to go like please find me some more right now like I need to go this moment um and I went in with good intentions, but like withdrawals and, and stuff and just like, you know, like the psychological withdrawals, all of it, it was just like, I need that. Like it was just so strong. And and also it was almost just kind of just being viewed as like the cool kid, honestly. What, going to rehab? No, running away from rehab. Oh, running away from rehab, okay. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, so that was, uh, you know, we got a call at night when that, that was happening and the, the police were looking for her in the woods and, <laughs> and it was so luckily 
she didn't get in a lot of trouble for that, and she stayed with the rehab, and it appeared to work. I mean, it seems at least it set her the foundation. I mean, I've been clean since the first day I went to rehab. Yeah, okay. So, that, you know, so the, I don't remember the, I know all the, the time frames and everything, but I know that, that um, they instilled the right information, and one of them had to do with an ex-boyfriend, I think. That was one of the things. Mm. She made a, a strong decision at some point that... To share that with y'all. Yeah, that, share that with us. And, Which was hard. Yeah. And then we, uh, you know, we, she, you know, made the right decision and stayed away and and started to, you know, get other friends. Right. That that was like, okay, I've made it 30 days now because I was in rehab for 30 days. And I was like, okay, well, I've kind of got like a kickstart. What, what I know that I, like I, y'all, y'all listeners know, like I first got clean when I was 16. So, and I, and I had relapsed, obviously that's why I was in rehab. So it was like, I kind of knew what worked and didn't work and what I needed to do differently this time to stay clean. It's weird because like, I don't know how rehab works. It honestly, I don't, they make you work like they make you get a sponsor and like talk about your feelings and stuff like that. But the main thing that I think of rehab is more like it's just teaching you structure and I'm just I don't know how the science behind that works or whatever because even when I was doing my mental health clinicals at the uh, place in Arkansas like theirs was like very 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 structured and I don't know what it is that that does to help teach people a new I guess just a new way of living I don't know yeah and one thing that I want to mention because it was probably the the hardest concept for me to understand was you know, at any point at, uh, in a addict's future, they they're still recovering. Yeah, it's not like right. to me. It's like I had a broken leg. I don't still have a broken leg. It might break someday, but it's not broken now. So I'm not yeah. don't have a broken leg. So this is the way I think about it. If y'all, if you listeners have listened to, I think it was me speaking at the Arvana convention. There's an episode titled that. Um, I talked about how. And I don't know where, like, this was like, I, I talk about this all the time now because it's such a great way to relate addiction to help you, un- like, understand that it's not curable. Like, they say in, like, our literature, like, we're arresting our disease, but, like, it, it's still always there. Addiction is who we are. But, like, like I have, I have an addict thought, usually is my first thought, and then I have a recovery thought, and my recovery thought is what I'm actually acting on. But, so, I relate addiction to diabetes. You know, like, you have diabetes. You, you have to take insulin every day, right? And, and you may think you're getting better. The, the, when you're taking your blood glucose, it shows that you're getting better, right? But as soon as you stop that, it goes right back to where it was because you have, you have a disease. And so like, it's the same thing with recovery for me. And, and like my, and like NA's understanding of recovery, like it's, it's incurable. So for us, like, it's just like diabetes in the way that like, I have this for the rest of my life and that's why I'm using recovery and utilizing recovery is because I'm going to have addiction for the rest of my life to so like my recovery, my daily recovery, whatever I'm doing for my recovery daily. And it's not always daily. It usually is, but like whatever I'm doing for them, that is my insulin. Like recovery is my insulin. So like that's what makes me feel like a normal, whatever you want to consider normal contributing member of society. like makes me feel better. It makes me feel a better person. That's my insulin is recovery. Yeah, and uh, one of the things from a person that's not recovering, you know, not not that I'm still an addict, I just never was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, um, it's just understanding that it's it's hard for them 
but we, it's hard for us just to understand, you know, how they get to that point where it's like, is everybody that drinks an alcoholic? And because you, you, you know, can never decide it for anyone else. Right, exactly. So, I mean, so for somebody to say, I am alcoholic or I am a drug addict, there has to be some, there's usually a, some, I, from people that I know, it's usually something bad happened and it kind of forced the issue. The because, yeah, without that, you know, they just continue and say, yeah, I'm not, I'll never be affected by that. I could drink if I want. Okay, so my next question is so we know throughout our family history, um, I've like I've said hurtful things. Are there any things that like were so hurtful that I said in my addiction that you were like really left an impact on you? No. Like, like as in like you can still remember because it was that bad. No. Because I know I would say like you're terrible parents. I don't love you. Blah blah blah. Yeah, there wasn't anything really that you'd said because it was so early in the process and young. With you were so young at the time, we knew that you were still, you know graduating yourself now if you still said those things you know in your 20s it's a different story and you know then you're you got other issues so it's a maturation process with with kids and it's different with guys and girls you know if I had you know I raised two boys they were a lot different than raising two girls the two, the two boys still were bad but <laughs> yeah the two boys were you know tough up until age 12 or 14 and then afterwards was easy with the girls you know as soon as they turned 12 or maybe it was the other way around. The girls, as soon as they turn 12, I mean, as a father, it's like, you're on high alert for everything. Oh yeah, because all the crazy boys. All the crazy boys, and then there's drugs and alcohol and all the other stuff that gets involved in it, you know. And then girls getting taken advantage. Right, right, yeah. exactly. So, and you can't protect people, like I said, you can't wrap them in a bottle, bubble and say, I'll see you when you're 18. Yeah. So, there, so do you remember any of the things I, like I said? There really wasn't anything that was, so uh, hurtful or profound that you said that it really, um, it, it, that it was hurtful, no. Okay. Okay, well, I did say hurtful things, but I'm glad they did not stick with you. <laughs> Dad, so what would you, after going through all of this, um, what would you suggest to other parents? That's kind of what my question was in, in my class assignment I was talking about. It was like, what are your views on parenting? And it was just kind of like, you can't, always prevent a kid like me from happening they just kind of you just kind of and there's no guidelines online or anything that tell you the magic cure for making a kid behave you know like you can only do so much so yeah, what would you, so what yeah. would you help with other people yeah what i would say is that you know that's the wrong approach to take to see how can i keep them from doing everything it's really about how can i keep an open line of communication and, and we did learn friendly. that eventually because my dad Okay, I was thinking about this if we were going to bring it up, but my dad had told me, and both my parents told me, um, like, you have a free pass, like, if you're ever, like, like, you can call us and we'll come get you with no questions asked. So there was one night I had taken an edible. <laughs> I was with the track team. <laughs> I was with the track team and I took an edible. And, um... We went to go get like Mexican food and I don't remember anything after that. I know that like someone told, that I told people to bring me, we were in the hot tub and I told someone to like bring me a toilet because I guess I had to puke or something, I don't know. But I knew I called my dad and I told him I had food poisoning and he didn't ask any questions until you know like years later when I, like now that I'm in recovery and he's like, you didn't have food poisoning that one night, did you? And I'm like, no, he's like, I knew it. 
<laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> so yeah, the, the key to it is, is, is maybe have special times together. Like um, one of the things that I did at an early age is we did sports together. She was in karate, I supported her. I ended up doing karate with her. Mm -hmm. And we Falling did that together. Me. And if you think about it, it may not have been the karate, the karate. it was maybe the, the drive there, there and back, the conversation yeah, yeah, yeah. you could have there and back to help the bond a little bit outside of how your grades, you know, and uh, yeah, are you doing yeah, drugs yeah. and alcohol? So, you know, so because they, they like the human side of you. So I would say as a parent, you know, stay close to them. I mean, you got to do you got to do what you can do to protect them. Because are you saying you do be that because it like helps them trust you? Keeps the door open. Because it's something. If they point, do you want to open up about something? Yes, Cuz I was like, "Why?" Well, I, I was like, "That's not going to no. If when I was using, when I was using drugs, I wasn't like, "Oh my god, my parents are going to think this, that." Like I just wanted to get high. Right. But at some point you you know, if you change and you'd say, "Well, you know, I, I, my parents aren't going to listen to me anyway, so you know, whatever, I'll just go off on my own or, and continue to do drugs. It kind of left you a mm. door open, a pathway back, if you want to think of it that yeah. way. Yeah. And like, well, whether, I guess whether I had that communication open or not with y'all, which I did, but like, I knew that like when enough had become enough, I was going to open up about it anyways, because y'all were the people who were going to help me. There was no one else. Who else am I going to go to? And you were a pretty honest person, probably a little bit too honest. Oh my gosh. I'm pretty sure all the listeners know about that. How like when I'm like when like at the beginning, like in middle school, when I first like at 16 when I first got clean because I came downstairs after getting in trouble and I was like, let me tell you all the drugs I did because you wanted me to be honest with you and you're like in shock after yeah. I tell you at like 14 years old or 16. And um and then the other time I was like on like that's what I always share when I share my stories, like that and then the other time I was honest is when the drug dog Basically, I got caught at school. They're like, do you have any drugs on you? And I was like, no. I have some in my car. <laughs> like, who knows that. if they would... <laughs> Could have left that last part off. Not, well, not I had crazy. saw the drug dog. I always, I always say that, but I always leave out the part that I had saw the drug dog. Obviously, my high school was huge, like 1,200 people in the class. They may have not even known. I don't know. But being honest did end up helping me. Like, the cops and stuff were a lot nicer to me yeah, because I was transparent with them i knew there was no getting out of it you know at that point like there's no getting out of it yeah i mean and we weren't going to let her out of it either but the thing is you you can't bail them out either as a parent you have to you have to let them feel the pain you can't be the only p person in that relationship in that family that feels the pain i mean the only person meaning the parent the child has to feel some pain too so you can't just bail them out of everything you gotta let them feel it that's why that's why enabling I, is so like that's why enabling is such a problem is because like people want to protect their kids like right. they, want, they don't want them to you know like their kid is saying i'm starving i've never i haven't had food or water in a week and you're like you're not just be like nope nope you don't get anything you know like you you want to do what you can but the thing is addicts are freaking manipulative yeah. they'll say whatever to get what they want we will say whatever to get what we want that's what i mean I will. I've done it. I got to work on my motives and where they're at, basically. Yeah. So think of yourself as as a, as a, um, a young adult or a you know as you as you grow older, you're formulating your principles that you're going to pass down to maybe your family. And what family? Uh -huh. uh, well, <laughs> yeah, my grandkids. Yeah. I'm not. These my parents will not get off the fact that I do not <laughs> yeah. want kids, y'all. They will not get off it. They're so mad. You're about just it. afraid they'll be like you. <laughs> Honestly, that too. Okay. We got, I got three siblings and they were all terrible. 
anyway. all caused chaos <laughs> that I'm sure a lot of kids don't normally. But yeah, I guess this turned into more of a unlike parenting of an addict, but same thing, like how I impacted my family and others with my addiction. Um, and yeah, and as far as how it affected the family, you know, there's, it's, it's a, um, a defining moment in a marriage where how you're going to handle that situation. You have to agree or come mm -hmm. to some consensus as to how you're going to, what's acceptable. One person from their background may say, we're not going to do that. They're going to do this or they're going to get this. And another one might be, yeah, but, and if you can't come into a, there's a lot of marriages that get broke up because of that kind of stuff. That would make me have some long-term guilt for sure. If that's how that turned out. Yeah. So always think about that, you know. I mean that, I mean, you have like the, the mental, emotional, like what kind of what you're talking about. Financial, we know that like financially I was freaking expensive. Private school, rehab, two IOPs, like jail. <laughs> we forget about jail, lawyer, you know, like all that stuff. Like I was an expensive kid, but I, like, you know, we talk about recovery and with recovery we have amends. And within those amends, we have financial amends. And you know, like, when you get to that point, you start owing whatever you owe or and doing what you need to do to amend relationships and all of that stuff along those lines. And that's where the recovery process comes into play because that takes a lot of humility to do something like that and a lot of willingness. And with that, you know, like I said, mental, emotional, I said financial, uh, spiritually, I probably really tested y'all too. Like having to rely on your higher power and just like lots of nights of like, Lord freaking help me how to parent this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's tough when you're thinking from, as a parent's point of view, it's your responsibility, your sole responsibility until they're 18. And then after 18, I mean, it's not like you wash your hands, but until that time, your, your direct influence is expected legally as well as ethically. And so that's a hard thing to do, especially if you see what's going on is a lot different than what you are willing to accept. I definitely want to say in this podcast that I'm very fortunate that I have parents that are good examples and cared enough, like didn't just like, the first of all, would send me to rehab, drive all the way to come visit me and back and then come pick me up, you know, like seven hours away. Um, and like, when I got out of rehab, there was an option of me to go to sober living, but you know, like I didn't, the rent and stuff didn't make sense. Like, and my parents were like, well, you, we have the same rules here. Like my parents held me accountable. They drug tested me. Like, um, I'm very fortunate to have parents that cared. I know a lot of people, um, may have it differently, you know, with other parents that are addicts that aren't any better, that, that aren't a part of their lives for whatever reason, aren't alive or whatever. Like I know that I'm very fortunate. And this is my experience that I'm uh, sharing with you guys. So tell me about some of the biggest changes you've seen from like me and my addiction to me now in recovery four years clean. Well, the thing is you've become such a strong advocate mm -hmm. at such an early age, it's really uh, admirable. And it's not only that you've made the decision yourself, but you realize that the, the college life and all that stuff is not exactly helping your cause. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's all around you and you're like the oddball. Uh, yeah, yeah, for real. And so you have, to, you have to be able to work around that and realize that, you know, college life isn't gonna last forever, but you gotta, you know, do what's right for you. 
Yeah, and the other thing is that you have to, as you get older, you have to start thinking in terms of a longer term approach. It's not like, hey, how can I be happy today? And what will be fun to do this minute? It's sometimes you have to think, how would this affect me for the rest of my life? And things that you do, if I get caught doing what I'm doing now. Like in college? Like in college, yeah, yeah sure. I mean, it could affect your career, depending on the type of careers that you get. Um, it's certainly going to affect affect that. And um, one other thing that, that I'll mention, and this is something from from many generations older, is that social media is not a good place for and, and here we are on social media talking about it to everybody else. Is it podcast social media? Yeah, but social media. But you know the thing is this is be careful what you say because it stays on online forever. Keep your yeah, I think it's I don't important. put my name on here. No, I understand that. I understand. It um, but it's important that you know as you move forward keep your uh, keep anonymous. You know, it's it's your your secret. You can help others without using your name and, and choose stuff who like that. to disclose. And choose to, to disclose to. Yeah, it's really important. Be selective. I'm not very good about that because honestly, I've never had negative feedback from a job. Like my boss knows, um, coworkers know. Like in both of my jobs, you know, like everyone really knows. I've never really gotten like oh, she's an addict, like, don't, you know, like, I've never had bad feedback from that. Of course, like, I don't, like, when I go apply for, like, my jobs after college, like, my social medias are going to be private. I've already kind of worked on, like, my Facebook, at least, um, where the posts I post only go to my friends, where no, no one will ever see it publicly, but, like, with my Instagram, I'm going to make that private once I start applying for jobs. My mindset in all of this is I would rather save someone's life than get a job. If what if my experience can help someone in in the way that that can help with addiction and, and their substance use, I would rather save a life and help them come to the realization of this great way of life and, and living. And it's not just not using drugs, it's so much more than that. Like I'm a good person today. Like if I can help someone and, and break my anonymity. Um, and help them get to that, like, I'm willing to do that. That's just, yep. like, where I'm at today, and, I guess. And from our point of view, uh, you know, not addict, a non-addict, is that you look at this and say, so this, really, what we're using today, a podcast, because you're, here you are, you, you, by choice, are listening to this. It's not like somebody put it on Facebook for everybody to see whether they wanted to see it or not. Have you ever seen something on Facebook where somebody says, hey, my kid just got, you know, this or that, or I just bought won an award. You won an award. It's like, I don't really care. You know, it's like, <laughs> but here, I mean, showing but, off. yeah, it's basically showing up. But here, it's like you're searching for information. And so I think this is the kind of safe uh, avenue that you could do that in where you can you know, where people are going to be listening to you that they're not trying to catch you doing something wrong. They're trying to learn something for themselves from somebody that's been there. Mm-hmm. And I know y'all heard about me talk it, y'all, but y'all heard me talk about it a lot on the podcast is like when I was in my addiction, I didn't want to hear from people who didn't know what I was going through. And that was a big resentment I had. And, and I can understand if like, if you're in your addiction too, and you're listening to this, I can totally understand that you don't want to listen to someone like you want to listen to someone with experience because like I know exactly what's going through your brain I talk about I talk about it with people all the time like I get it um and that's exactly where I was at too all right y'all so that turned into more of like a parenting podcast I guess like parenting of an addict but 
thanks if you listened all the way through i mean this is like 35 minutes right now but if you listened all the way through thank you so much um i don't know if i've ever said this but if you like what you what you're listening to like feel free to rate this podcast leave it a review share it with your friends um you know get the word out there like we're i'm trying to help people here that's it's, it's pure intentions it's all good um thank you to my dad for sharing your experience with me your experience with life giving some advice i appreciate your time my pleasure um stay clean <laughs> stay clean um and thanks y'all for listening have a great day and be the best version of yourself you can be If you or a loved one is struggling with addiction, please reach out to the SAMHSA National Helpline. There's help available 24 hours a day, every day of the year. Please call 1-800-662-4357 and let's get you some help.